Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar. We're back ready to discuss the latest and greatest when it comes to the sport of boxing. I'm Wilton Henry, and I'm joined by Daniel Lee and LaBelle Jackson. How are we doing, fellas? Is everything good? Yep, everything's everything. Everything's uh, lovely. Yeah, man, I can't complain. It's a beautiful day outside. Uh, still the weekend, still some time left to enjoy, so, so I'm good. Yeah, man, it's last week of August. You know, we got Labor Day coming up. You fellas have any plans for Labor Day weekend? Uh, nothing major. Uh, guess we're probably going to do some, some community work, uh, chill out a little bit. Might uh, go see a, a show somewhere, some type of uh, – it's just something entertaining just to uh, let my hair down and relax. Like a little ballet or something like that? I won't be, won't be, not be ballet, you know. It might, might be, I don't know, it might be medieval times or something. I don't know. Oh, I got you. Y'all seen that skit with dude that be copying the, the basketball players and he copied LeBron when he found out that James Harden got traded and he was like, I'm 36. Y'all, y'all remember that one? Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be me next weekend because it's my birthday weekend. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, you know, my girl's coming up. We're going to celebrate for a little bit, have a small, little small dinner with friends and it's going to be cool. My brother's going to be coming down too from Cleveland, from Akron. So it'll be cool. Man, happy birthday, man, and, and hopefully y'all enjoy your bar mitzvah. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, for, for me, what are you going to say something, Bill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with Danny. I, I just celebrated my 42nd birthday a few days ago, and mm-hmm. now I feel it kind of, you know, like I, I know I didn't slow down a little bit. You know, the check engine lights coming on. But I, I'm still kicking. I still feel healthy. It's just that. Uh, that, that, that recovery time is key, you know, and that rest is key. Yeah. For sure. Hey, happy, happy belated birthday, brother. You, you Virgo too? Yeah, yeah, Virgo, 25th, yeah. I'm Virgo right season. Cusp, what's up? That's what's up. Happy birthday, happy belated birthday. You know, I wish you would have shared that with us sooner, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, you know, the other thing too, man, you just, you just, uh, that's a milestone birthday. I know 40 is, 42, that's that Jackie Robinson and, uh, what wasn't uh, my main man James Worthy forty two also? You know what I'm saying? So it's a good milestone, man. For me personally, I don't have a birthday coming up. Mine was in July, but we are off Friday and we're off Monday. I'm thinking about maybe possibly going somewhere like a Atlantic City or something like that. Maybe down your way, uh, Danny. It all depends on what it's looking like as far as the hotels and things, because sometimes they jack them prices up around that time or i might just find something to do in the dc area you know this is a great place to live because you just have so many different options and so i might catch something not ballet you know what i'm saying but i might catch me like a either oreos maybe a commander's maybe a nationals game or something like that but i'm a max and relax but i'm looking forward to october so like around october 20th october 21st i'm heading back towards south america again and I'm finalizing a trip and I'll let you know, fellas, this week, you know, once I do it. But um, yeah, I got I got some got some um, a nice trip coming up. You know, when I do those trips like that to those <clears throat> areas like South America, Central America, it's, it's to get that mental relaxation. You know what I'm saying? And so once I do that, I can come back. No stress, you know, at least for a few days until I get to interacting with people here then that stress level goes back up, but it provides me with an opportunity. See, what I do as far as a career, I want to do that as long as Dr. Fauci did what he did. You understand what I'm saying? And that provides me with an opportunity 
to be mentally prepared to experience whatever it is going to come my way once I return. But that's my plans. Um, I'll tell you what, man, we had, I wouldn't say, you know, it, it was pretty light this week as far as what was going on in a sport of boxing. But I think it's important for us to go ahead and jump right in. So let's go ahead and go off into uh, the fight that took place. I want to say it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You had Richard Comey. They call him RC. He was taken on a sniper, um, Jose Pedraza. Vil, uh, what did you think about that matchup? Yeah, this fight was a very close fight. It was an interesting fight. It was scored a draw, a split draw, where one judge scored it for Comey. Uh, another Pedraza and uh, the, the final judge had it 95-95. I think maybe one of those scores, it might have been one for Comey, I thought it was a little too wide. Both guys, they made the case for uh, winning this fight. But I, I did think that that Comey, he got off to a, a real good start. He was way more active. Uh, he was working his jab uh, a, a lot, even though it was sometimes it wasn't even like landing, but he was working that jab, making it work for him, using it as a maneuver so that uh, Pedraza can be more wary. Uh, and Pedraza himself, he was he was uh, trying to pay dividends. He was throwing some some nice counters early in the fight. He tried to uh, to go to the body, which I think that was key in this fight because it started paying dividends a little, you know, uh, into the second half. But yeah, he he, he settled to his Pedraza settled into his rhythm. I think around the fourth round, and I think it was. Even, even if he wasn't winning those rounds, he was doing things that, that was going to, you know, pay off later. Uh, now, Richard Comey, sometimes he, he tends to, late in fights, late in fights, Comey tends to get a little sloppy. I don't know whether it's stamina issues or what. He, get, he tends to get sloppy and start to trade more. But when it, lesser competition, that's when he is, he's able to be more successful because they're, they're more uh, susceptible to his power. But when it's like top competition, you know, it, it doesn't work as well. Uh, it, it actually works to his, his detriment when he starts to trade like that. So this fight, he did start to uh, come, that is, he started to slow down in the second half of this fight. Uh, there was a headbutt, I think it was a sixth round, which uh, I think Comey was cut. But I think Pedraza was getting busted up, which was the result of the first half of the fight. But he came back pretty well in the second half. Uh, as, as Comey started to fade, uh, and Comey seemed uh, pretty hurt, I believe, in her ninth round, where Pedraza, I think, had Pedraza had more in a tank or had more power, he may have gotten a, he could have gotten a stoppage off of Comey, because you could tell that Comey is very, very spent. But, you know, Comey fought his heart out. Um, he, he saw the final bell, and it, uh, this fight, it was scored a draw. Now, both guys, the, their, their record, uh, well, Pedraza is 29 and four, Comey is 30 and four, and they each have that draw in their record. Uh, and Pedraza did say that he was willing to, to, to fight a rematch with uh, Comey. And then I think the, the rematch would be a, a more interesting fight, but I, I think that Com Pedraza would probably do a better in the rematch. Uh, Cause there was, there was times in the fight, he, he seemed to be flat. Uh, he seemed to, to be trying to gain his, uh, you know, his, his rhythm uh, when that finally happened. Uh, he was able to really uh, make an effect, effective stance against Richard Comey. But it was, it was a good performance from Comey in the first half, good performance from Pedraza down the stretch. Uh, we'll see if, if the rematch gets made. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a 10-round fight. It really wasn't much more to add between uh, the former IBF super featherweight and WBO lightweight champion, uh, Pedraza, and Comey is the former IBF lightweight champ. And so you had two championship caliber fighters who really was in like a must-win situation. And I think that the end result ended up the way that it should have been. Because like you said, early in the fight, Comey, he was pressing forward a lot, using an effective jab. And then like in the second or third round, he came out storming and firing. And he even hurt Pedraza. I want to say that was the second round. And then what Pedraza began to do is he switched up and he went lefty. And when he did that, that kind of slowed down Comey's, you know, his offensive attack. But at the same time, I thought Comey probably won like the first four or five rounds. It wasn't until that clash of heads in the sixth round, to me, that's when it kind of gave life to Pedraza and he started, you know, coming forward a little bit more and being more effective. So maybe it was 4-1 going into the sixth round or it was 5-0, but Comey was definitely up. And like you said, down the stretch, Pedraza, he showed that championship heart. And he, you know, like I said, after the head, but I don't know if that really was, and he was, he was cut and swole up or no, he wasn't cut before the sixth round Pedraza, but he was, it, one of his eyes was swollen and he had a bloody nose because like I say, Comey was, was putting, you know, some serious pressure on him. And it seemed like Comey was energized and motivated because of whatever situation that was going on back home. I think he was saying that they were trying to extort money out of him or something like that. It just seemed like he, he was motivated. Um, very much so in this fight. And Pedraza was a little bit flat early. He wasn't ready, you know, for what Comey was doing, but then he he kind of like uh, started to get into it. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, especially after that hit, but that's when I noticed him picking up the pace. And, you know, all in all, it was, it was a pretty good fight, you know, and I think both guys are very similar in skill. They just do things a different way. And, you know, with that being said, I look forward to those guys having a rematch. I have no clue right now as as to who I would favor, um, but I think it'll be another good fight. Yeah, I personally had it 96-94 in Pedraza's favor, but I wasn't mad at all at the outcome. Uh, you know, both fighters had their moments, and it kind of played out how I thought in the sense that Pedraza, he looked slick and elusive. He did some solid work to the body, which I thought he would. Comey was aggressive. He put on the pressure, which was inevitably going to catch Pedraza in some spots like I thought he would. Now, the way they were kind of billing this was that the loser would become like a gatekeeper at the division for the rest of the young guys that was coming up, which, you know, that may be a fair assessment, but I like both fighters, you know, so I didn't really want to look at either as a gatekeeper. So if nothing else, at least this puts off that talk for a little bit. But I don't really have much of substance to add other than, you know, I could have seen it going either way slightly, but I'm, I'm happy with what we got. I don't know what they're going to do from here, but I enjoyed the fight for what it was. Did you guys have anything? No, sir. No, sir. Okay. So we're going to go to the co-main then with Jerry Anderson, he came back from somewhat of a layoff. He was very busy last year. I think he had six fights last year. But he came back on Saturday, and he fought Milan Rovcanon. Will, did you see that? 
Yeah, I checked it out. You know, he got the real big baby, you know. Shout out to Jared Anderson. He faced Mijan Rokanen uh, yesterday. He was busy, uh, Danny, up until last year because they were saying, like, this is the longest layoff of his career because he had a hand injury, which he was out of the ring for 259 days. So he was trying to shake off a little rust if it was going to be some rust. I didn't see too much of it, but it, it was like in the first round, I did notice that what I didn't like as far as Big Baby is concerned is that he was getting hit a little bit in that first round, like the first part of the, the, the round, and he had his head like in the line of his opponent's right hand early. But then he started touching Rokan into the body and it immediately zapped Rokanen of his, of his energy. And some of the shots that he was shooting early, they didn't have nearly the same power on those shots. I'm talking about this is like the second round when I, when I noticed that. And then um, Anderson, he started targeting and tagging Rokanen's body and he was starting to apply pressure in that second round. And then he ended up catching him. I want to say that was a right hand, but it was just like a little flush right hand on the inside where it kind of looked like he could have got up, but it didn't look like he wanted any more parts of Jared Big Baby Anderson. And so they called a halt to the fight. I thought that understanding the young man coming off a long layoff, that he just had that little moment, maybe the first half of the first round that I was kind of like, whoa, hold on now. There was just that little small moment. It was just more so shaking off that ring rust, but he looks good. He's a good fighter especially at this stage he have, hasn't fought the stiffest level of opposition but he looks so comfortable in that ring he lets his hands go so smooth he's kind of like a chris bird ish type slightly but much bigger but then he also has some power in those fists i just want to see what he's going to look like as he steps up the level of his comp opposition you know but he looks his, his career looks very promising uh, moving forward so, you know, I, I think the sky's the limit, especially when you have some of the top guys at heavyweight, you know, a lot of them are like 35 years old. I think Tyson Fury may be the youngest, like around 32, 33, but he's always talking about retiring and, thing, and, and things like that, that I don't think he's going to stick around and fight the young crop of guys. And out of the young crop of heavyweights, I think he's the most talented and if I would have to put my money on it right now, I would say that he would be the next one to take over, you know, after the likes of Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk, Joshua, and Deontay Wilder, once they pass the torch. You know, I agree, man. This guy's the goods. You know, like, he, he has the full package that you want to see. You know, he has, like, if you, if you peek after the fight, he had the little ring pop to go with the big baby theme. You know, he's taking pictures with the ring pop. The guy's asking him questions while he's not talking. He's like sucking on a, on a little ring pop or whatever. When he came out, anytime he does a ring wall, he makes a statement, you know? And so he came out kind of dressed up in sort of like the jumpsuit and with the handcuffs this time. Um, so he has the goods. He has the skills. He has the personality. And so I've, as long as he keeps his nose clean and, and continues to develop, I, I, I'm loving what I'm seeing from him, you know? Now, as far as the fight, this was marketed as a step up for Anderson. But if you looked at Rove Cannon's record, he had 24 wins, but, you know, he beat a guy in March. The guy was four and two. Before that, he fought a guy who was 22 and 33. 
I'm not talking about ages. I'm talking about his record was 22 and 33. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I noticed, you know, he started the first round in Southpaw. And like you said, he took some shots he really shouldn't have taken. Uh, the good news for him was that he was never really bothered by him. And he, see, he still seemed pretty comfortable. And then, yeah, in between rounds, his trainer had him switch to Orthodox. And he really started to land. And that was pretty much all she, all the, all she wrote. Now, moving forward, you know, they asked him who he wants to fight. He called out Philip Hergovic uh, and or some of the top 10 competition in the division. Hergovic is in line for the IBF, so I don't see him really risking losing his place in that line, especially at his performance last week. And so, yeah, we'll see where he goes from here. I'm not going to doubt he's ready for it, but I would personally like to see him against like a top 20 fighter first before I see him against a top 10 fighter because. Rokanen was not in the top 50, you know what I mean? And so someone like a, at some point, like a Charles Martin or like a, even like a Demarazin who just beat Konoski, I would like to see him against someone like that before I see him against like a top 10 guy, which doesn't even have to be this year. He's still a young guy. He's still 12 and 0. And so they can build that up some more, but, but I like what I saw. Vel, did you have anything for this one? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes even what we're looking at this fight and looking at Jerry Anderson, it is hard to, to believe that he's 12 and 0. You know, he he carries himself like he has, you know, on the level of a, a, a 18 and 0 prospect. And I'm not saying that like one of those guys who step up really, really fast and they're 18 and 0 and ready for a championship, but like in a guy with more experience that's around like 18 to 20, 20 and 0. But this fight, I mean, Rokanen came out very, very aggressive, and I think that was to his detriment. <laughs> Even though he was successful in, in, in catching Anderson at times, I think that's what, when when you're outgunned, sometimes you got to go out on your shield. And that's basically what he did. And sometimes you have to throw balls to the wall, and and, and, and maybe maybe you may win. So he was he was able to catch Rokanen. He was able to catch uh, Jared Anderson with some shots, but Anderson took them well. Uh, in that second round, Anderson was going to the body, then started going up to the head, and uh, and and cracked him with a with a combo. It was a combination that ended with a right cross, which basically put Rokanen down face first. Uh, you know, and basically it was Rokanen was asleep before he got to the mat. Uh, so it's one of those highlight knockouts that a star like Jared Anderson produces, and people will uh, learn to respect and love him for. So I mean. I'm not going to say it was this great win because, you know, maybe I think higher of him, higher of Jerry Aronson than I need to at this time because he is really only 12 and 0, and it's hard for me to really look past that. But I thought that knockout is going to be one of those knockouts that, you know, highlight real that that's only going to grow his fan base. Um, and, and we'll see what the future of him brings, you know. And, and as you said, Will, that's the real big baby, you know clean guy you know so i'm kind of excited to see i like seeing young fighters and 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 saying man ask myself like what's going to become of this guy and thinking all the fights that's possibly going to happen in his career in the next 10 years so you know great knockout for jared anderson what do you guys want to see him fight next like what do you think if if you were managing him what would you be your your next step for him it's going to be tough because he's on that side over there where who do they have over there for him to fight? And it's unfortunate that that's the way that the sport is, is that they just have certain belts and certain um, opponents, you know, unless it's just a huge fight that they don't like to cross promote like that. But 
removing all of those barriers to me even before I get to who I would like to see him fight next I think he's really ready for like some of those mid-level guys um but what I was going to say before that is that what I like about him in addition to what it is that I see is that he's more of a natural than a lot of times that you see heavyweights because see now in boxing, especially the heavyweight division, you have guys who are, um, there's so many sports that they may come from football. Like I remember back in the day, they used to have Seth Mitchell. He used to be a linebacker for uh, Michigan State. And then he started boxing a little bit later, but you saw where he was flawed. I know like for me personally, when I used to be heavily into basketball, when I was younger and used to have those guys who came from different sports and they tried to play, you always had in your mind, like, this dude a football player. He ain't no basketball player. Even though no matter how good they were, you still looked at them like that. And I know that that's how Tyson Fury look at certain guys like they look at Deontay Wilder. Like, look at this. He's a basketball player. or He has that basketball body. Or when they look at AJ, they're like, man, he ain't really a, he's a bodybuilder type dude. He ain't, he's not a natural because he didn't start off doing this. He's more of a natural because he invested a lot of time early in a sport. So it's certain things that he naturally does just as a, as a fighter, he's able to lose certain shots. He's just, he has a little bit of know-how that a lot of big men don't typically have. Um, now, as far as who I would like for him to face, it's hard to say, it's hard to say right now. Um, because it depends on what you consider Frank Sanchez. Now, I don't want to see him fight Frank Sanchez right now. I'm just saying, as far as the, it, do you consider him still a younger crop of the heavyweights? Because that would be the one right there that the collision course for them to go at each other, but they're on opposite sides of the street. It's hard to say, you know what I mean? I think he can handle some of those guys. Like he's not, I would give him maybe a fighter or two before because the heavyweight division is so top heavy. Like once you get down to like the gatekeeper type dudes, like I think he'll, he'll, you know, whitewash some of those guys, but there's still a lot of danger there. I'm saying like, for instance, that you're sore or something like that, but I think he's probably like a year away from taking on that caliber of guy. Cause you could put him in there with him. Now it's just a little too dangerous for the amount of experience that a guy like your has, but he's probably a year and a half away from somebody like that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's hard to think of where exactly he goes, but there are options if he needs to, if he needs the uh, the experience. I mean, you still have Huey Fury out there, uh, uh, another young guy that I, I would favor Jared Anderson over is Effie Ajaba. I mean, he's still you know out there also. Um, Philippe Hergovich. Uh, I think that's a dangerous fight for him, but I did hear that name get thrown out there. Uh, but if he was to do that, it'll be impressive to, to do it at 12 and 0. Um, and it'll only help his ascent. But it, it, with heavyweights, it's a little trickier because it only takes one punch. Uh, then people are are questioning, like, do you belong here or not? I mean, we've seen it happen plenty of times. Uh, and you don't want to ruin him neither. But we'll see where he goes. So I wouldn't, that's what I'm saying. Like, and then he was talking about that as well, as far as Philip Herkovich, him calling him out. I think he's, it's a little premature for him to face somebody like that. I heard of this didn't look, you know, like ultra impressive when he fought against Zhang. But again, Zhang is a bad boy. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, so you can't just look at that particular fight and say, you know what, I want him. Now, what he's going to have as far as advantages over Herkovich is he's faster. You know what I mean? He's more elusive. But some of the shots that I saw him get caught with earlier in that fight for that first minute or so, you can't run a risk of getting caught with those shots against Herkovich. And I'm sure, you know, let's say he, like, from a Herkovich, I will wait for, like, a year, a year and a half, get you somebody, somebody a step above what you had yesterday, step or two above that, because you'll, you, you're you going to wipe the floor with those guys, but you're just going to be learning things. And then get you somebody like a Chisor who's, who's um, very durable, you know what I'm saying? And then you can, you know, face a little bit of danger there. You you get over that hurdle. And then maybe another fighter, then you ready for you ready for the world. You know what I'm saying? But about well, Daniel Dubois. Again, that might again, it's like Daniel Dubois to me is still like a year and a half or so before you you do that. Because he's fighting, if he goes back to that schedule that he was on six times in a year or anything close so you get you about three fights three or four fights with that those those incremental steps then you can start you know understanding and being very he's always always going to be confident but i want his team to be confident as well entering into a fight with somebody like dubois he has all of the skills and tools to be able to do what he needs to do it's just a matter of the experience and that's the only way you can get it is in that ring but you don't want to, because again, he could do it, but let's say for instance, he does beat Dubois. Now you in a situation where you got to take on the top guys or they're going to be feeding you to the top guys and you still, is certain things that you haven't checked off yet. That's the only thing that I'm concerned about too. Even if he wins or if he loses, for, you don't want him to lose. But if he wins, you don't want some of his deficiencies to be masked because you were able to beat that guy because Dubois has a lot of, holes in this game but he just has power right and so you might fight somebody else totally different with a total different skill set that you had never faced before and then that's when it's gonna bite you in the butt I just don't want that for him I just want him to take his time at least a year and a half two years and then you know shoot for the moment yeah I don't want to belabor but I I do agree and I, I think that at this time like activity is key for him and exposure is key like you know, I don't think top rank has any super big fights coming up right now, but assuming that you have that collision course with Haney and Loma, you got to get him on that undercard as high as possible. You know what I mean? So people can see him and then want to see him in the future. And so I think that year and a half timeline is a good time frame for him to a be able to pull that off and be for top rank to have bigger fights to feature him on to build that demand. Because, you know, that personality is going to shine. It's got to shine in front of the right amount of people and long enough. Mm-hmm. So moving along next week, we got a, uh, a super flyweight matchup that's happening. We got Juan Francisco Estrada. He's going to be taking on uh, Argy Cortez. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on this fight? And what's your prediction? I'll keep mine relatively short and sweet. I did some research on Cortez. You know, all of his fights has been in Mexico. You know, he's never fought at the world level. His two losses did come in his third and fourth fights back in 2014 and 2015. And he's won 11 straight at the moment, you know, but the opposition, again, has been like at the domestic level in Mexico. 
Now, on the flip side, Estrada, he's been out the ring since March 2021. He's 32, and although he won that fight against Chacotito, you know, it was a tough fight. You know, people think he lost. He was, and he's been battle tested. He has, I believe, around 45 fights total in the books, and he's coming off that long layoff. Now, let's call it what it is. You know, this is a more or less a hometown matchup for Estrada to set up that Chocolatito trilogy, which I'm here for. You know, that being said, I don't know how Cortez Chan will hold up against elite competition. And I don't know exactly how Estrada will look, you know, since he's getting older and has been in a lot of wars, you know, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him stop him, but I think he's just going to win this by, I'm going to go unanimous decision and play it safe. I think Estrada is going to, take care of business here and set up that that super fight yeah uh i think he's gonna win a decision also i, I do think there'll be some spots that he may uh, struggle with cortez not because of cortez himself but i think that strada this might be one of those fights where he's you know trying to get the ring rest off uh and trying to you know shake the cobwebs off try to get his timing right uh and then he's dealing with you know the battle scars that he's he's had all these this time Plus, with, with Cortez, Cortez has fought, like, very, very – he's very active. He fought three times this year. He's fought five times since Estrada's fight with Gonzalez, with Roman Gonzalez. He's way, way more acclimated. So I do think he's going to give Estrada some, you know, some rounds and give him some, some things that's going to make uh, Estrada struggle a little bit. But I do think Estrada is going to make it through and, and win a uh, unanimous decision on, on this fight. Yeah, I guess it's a, just a little stay busy, you know, get back into the ring type fight for um, El Gallo. You know, I, I expect this right here to be an easy victory. It's just, like I said, to shake the cobwebs off, man. You haven't fought since uh, March 13th of 2011. So you need, you know, time to get back in the ring. And I'm not sure if this is going to set up a fight with Chocolatito or is it going to set up a fight with uh, Rodriguez? Because they were supposed to fight, but then El Gallo backed out of the fight for whatever reason. So either way, those, those are two good matchups, but this is just to get him fine-tuned and prepared for the next fight. I was going to say a, a TKO victory later in the fight, but I'm going to play it political. You know, I'm going to do what Vail did last week. I listened to what both of you said. I'm comes <laughs> to... Um, the point system right now. So I can't, you know, run the risk of losing any points, you know, especially when somebody's being so strategic as Vail. So if you're going to be strategic, then I'm going to do the same thing. So I've got <laughs> El Gallo 12 round decision. Now, also next week, we got my main man, Isak Pitbull Cruz. You know, he's going to be back in the ring and he's going to be facing uh, Eduardo. Ramirez. I think Ramirez is a former uh, junior lightweight, also a featherweight, if I recall correctly. But Pitbull will be back in the ring. Um, who do you like in that one? Oh, man. I, I'm not going to, in this fight, I'm not, I won't, I won't go against my main man, uh, Isaac Pitbull Cruz, you know, but this will be a spirited fight. Uh, Cruz is coming this fight. He's 30, 23 and 2 and 1, uh, 16 knockouts. He's a short guy, 5'4. Short reach, short arm, 63-inch. 
but he's like a, he's he definitely a, a pit bull. He fights like a pit bull. He he's able to close the distance very very well. He got that that strong chin. I mean, we make jokes about him calling bullet head, but you know, hitting his hitting his head just like them them, them bullet things in Super Mario Brothers. Your, your fist just bounce right off of it. Uh, he, he's definitely a, a volume puncher. Uh, he can hurt guys, but he's not really to me. He's not like a one punch knockout guy. Uh, but he does like he's very aggressive and has those heavy hands, but he's more a volume puncher. Um, he's one of those guys that I think uh, because of his age, he, he can he can do what he does because he's only like 23. But I, but he's one of those guys that I, I can see burning out early, but not like anytime soon, but probably, you know, by the time he's 30. Uh, so he's really he's kind of in his prime. So Ramirez, Ramirez, you know, a taller fighter, he has a, a lot longer reach, has a 70, a seven inch reach advantage over Cruz because uh, his wingspan is 70 inches, but he doesn't use it. Uh, he's he, he's like another bow thrower, just like <laughs> I saw Cruz. He throws these bow punches. You know, he, he loves the hooks and uppercuts and things of that nature, which plays right into Cruz and give Cruz a, a way to win it. So I think this would be a, a spirited fight. Uh, and I think that I saw Cruz. Uh, I could kind of see him stopping Ramirez late, but I'm but uh, I'm gonna say that he's gonna win a decision over Ramirez. Yeah, I can't see Eduardo Ramirez having only twelve knockouts and twenty seven fights, being able to withstand the pressure of Eastside Pitbull Cruz. Now for 12 rounds, I can see him making a 10, knowing that the light is at the end of the tunnel and I might be able to hold or, he doesn't fight like that though. Like every time I see Eduardo Ramirez, he's in there trying to bang, you know, he, he's a banger for somebody who doesn't have that heavy of a shot. Now I saw him knock one guy out. Uh, it was before his last fight um, with the right hand but I don't think that he's going to have enough power. And I was at a lower weight class. He's fighting against a very tough pit bull. You know what I mean? Like Rockwilder, like he's in there just coming at you from round one. He's going to, pit bull is going to be on him as soon as he enters the arena. Like that's just the amount of pressure that he puts on you. Now, before I keep continue with this fight, the interesting thing about pit bull crews and fighters that tank Davis face that going into the fights with tank davis a lot of times guys look at the fighters that tank is about to face as he's cherry picking but he's one of the few guys who can have a fight with somebody going into the fight that looks like a cherry pick but those fighters come out of the fight with him where people look at them like they are very solid good legitimate contenders so now people have a more of appreciation for Isak Cruz. They have more of appreciation for Roley Romero than they had before they ended up entering into the ring with Tank. Now, I know that Pitbull looks sensational against Yorkis Gamboa, but to me, that was a style matchup that was just, it was, it was horrible from the jump for Yorkis Gamboa, who gets tagged and hit a lot and especially at this stage of his career, that was just a recipe for disaster. And Pitbull Cruz just wiped the floor with him. Now, in this fight, I think that at this stage, Ramirez is has a little bit more solid footing than Yorkis Gamboa had. 
he's a pretty good fighter. I'm just surprised that he's fighting at 135 and he's fighting against, you know, this particular opponent, especially with this style, because it just doesn't bode well for him um, being in there with somebody who can bang like Pitbull Cruz, who has that low center of gravity and he's just nonstop bundle of energy you know, while he's in the ring. Now, I did see Pitbull. Sometimes he might get a little fatigued, but it seemed like he catches the second win pretty good um, as well. Now, as far as a prediction is concerned, like I said, just thinking about somebody who's going to be in front of Pitbull Cruz, who does take, you know, quite a few punches himself. And in his last fight, didn't look too good. He fought Luis Melendez, and they fought to... No, he got the victory over Melendez. But if you watch that fight, then it either was a draw or you would have to lean slightly towards Melendez. That could have been an off night. I'm not sure. But just looking at their fighting styles, fellas, I just I can't see him surviving all 12. So I'm going to say Pitbull Cruz, I'll say around a ninth round stoppage victory for Isak Pitbull Cruz. Oh, bullet head back, huh? Now, you guys pretty much said a lot of the context, um, but just to set it up a little bit more, WBC had originally ordered Pitbull against Ryan Garcia earlier this year, and then it rescinded it. That's how he ended up getting the Gamboa fight. Now, with Ramirez, you know, you mentioned he moved up a weight class, and he was actually a featherweight until 2021. Then he had the two fights at super featherweight. And like you said, he he struggled against Belendez in that last fight. You know, and you could argue, like, I, I would agree that he was probably gifted that decision, you know, and Melendez was not a top fighter at the 130-pound division. And so now his first step up to the 135-pound division, he's fighting a top 10 guy in the new division. And one of the things I didn't like in that fight against Melendez, you know, he would throw, but he would keep his head on that center line, you know. And, you know, he's a pressure fighter to an extent, but the effectiveness of it was too few and far between. And these are two things you don't want to do going against Isak Cruz because he's going to keep coming. And he just he just has that motor, and you can't afford to really take too much time off against a guy like him. Now, Ramirez has never been stopped before. But keeping that in mind, I don't see where he's fought someone with the pressure of a Cruz who just like, he just keeps going. He's like the Energizer Bunny, you know? And so I think he's going to get stopped for the first time by the pit bull. I'm going to go with the 10th round. Now for the main card on that fight, we talked about this already a little bit, but we have Andrew Ruiz Jr. coming back and he's fighting... Luis Ortiz, King Kong. How do you guys see this playing out? Well, uh, in this fight, like I said before, these guys are kind of evenly matched. I like uh, the matchup. I think that Ruiz, before he was a little bit reluctant, like most of the heavyweight division was to face Luis Ortiz when he was closer to his prime. You know, now they see the flaws, they see the age is starting to catch up to them, the attrition of going through the two losses against Deontay Wilder. So, you know, guys are a little, lot more um, receptive to taking on the task of a Luis Ortiz, King Kong, if you will. I still think that there's danger lurks 
you know, when, you, when you're facing King Kong Ortiz, and I think that also he was able to get a few cobwebs off of him, you know, in his last outing in January. And so I think he'll look better. I think that this is a better matchup for him as far as like a guy who's not as tall, a guy who's not left-handed, um, a guy who isn't just a one-punch, you know, person that can, you know, hurt you like that, where Ruiz can. Now, don't get me wrong, but he's just not like a one-punch. And he's fast, though. That's the thing. Like, what concerns me if I was Luis Ortiz is the hand speed of Andy Ruiz and just getting adjusted to that. Because a lot of times, Ortiz gets off to a slow start. And you don't want to get off to that slow start and getting hit upside the head with Ruiz. And then you never really, your equilibrium off and stuff like that, you're never really able to get into the fight. Now he's professional and he, he's able to withstand some of those rocky moments. Uh, I just don't want that to be the case here. But I think that based on each guy's skill set, I still have to favor Ortiz over Ruiz. And the main reason is I think that he's better. I don't know if he's still better, you know what I mean? That's the case. Like every, as, as more and more time goes by, the older and older he's going to get. So that's going to, we'll see, you know, on September 4th or 5th uh, when this fight takes place. But the other reason and the most important reason, I see and Andy Ruiz is dedicating himself. He looks like he's in really good shape, especially for him. But I always have to go with the proven commodity, a person who showed me on a, continuous basis that they take boxing serious and in certain moments that they don't do anything that I find like questionable you know where it leaves me scratching my head because you did something total opposite of what I think a fighter a professional should do and what I'm referring to is that moment when or when Ruiz came into the Joshua rematch so heavy not in the shape and then also when he was saying how he was partying and stuff like that. Really, the second fight was like the biggest fight of your career. And so when you are inconsistent like that, you show lack of discipline at certain moments. And I know the other guy I can rely on him more so Then I got to go with that proven commodity. I think that when it's all said and done, I think that Ortiz, I think I had a fifth round knockout before, but I'm going to go seven. I think Ortiz is going to win this fight. And once Ruiz gets a little bit tired and then he'll be softened up enough, it's going to be a point where Ortiz is going to put some serious hurt on him. And I think that they'll call the fight off around round seven. You know, Ruiz, he's been out the ring since May of last year. You know, he didn't look very impressive against Chris Ariola. You know, he was dropped. He looked kind of sluggish. I was looking at some of the old clips and I was looking at some of the comments. Some people were saying his body wasn't adjusted to the lower weight, you know, but he weighed in at 256, which, you know, outside of him ballooning the 283 for that Anthony Joshua rematch, which I would consider an anomaly, 256 isn't that much different than what he normally weighs. And on top of that, he had a year and a half to get there to get from 283 to 256. Maybe there's something I'm missing, but that wasn't, over that time span and given the, the sheer number that wasn't a significant enough weight drop to me you know that said you know we had ortiz he fought charles martin at the top of the year 
Uh, he was dropped twice in the first and the fourth. And he did bounce back to stop him in the sixth. But, you know, I didn't like – he wasn't hurt. Like, they looked like flash knockdowns. But they were pretty simple punches, and they didn't really come at him very fast either. Like, that second knockdown in the fourth was like a straight jab. So he just got caught with a stiff – you know, he just got caught with a stiff jab. And so – we have two good heavyweight fighters who didn't have their best performances against their most recent opponents. One thing that Ruiz could take from those shots that Ortiz got knocked down with is that they were well-timed and he was kind of put in the position where his footing was off. And so even though they weren't powerful, they were clean enough and well-timed enough to, to, you know, get him knocked down. And if Ruiz survives, he could in theory, he could win off of the strength of points that are taken away during those knockdowns. And to Ruiz's credit, he does have better hand speed than Charles Martin. But if Ortiz hits him with half of what Areola hit him with, I just can't see him surviving the fight. You know, now if Ruiz weren't coming off such a long layoff, I would be more inclined to favor him. But, you know, looking at the time in between the AJ fight and the Areola fight, and then looking at the time between the Areola fight and this fight, I just don't think layoffs favor him. I think he's better when he's active, and he's in, he's been in shape. I'll give him that, but I think he's better when he's active and in shape. And so, I think his flurries are going to give Ortiz problems, but ultimately, I think Ortiz is going to catch him, and I think Ortiz is going to stop him in about the eighth. This is an interesting fight because there's many many variables that's at play here. You know. Uh, both guys coming off a of performance that's, that weren't, you know, their best performances. And both guys are, are, are skilled with fast hands. Louis, or, Louis Ortiz has the reputation of, you know, having that Cuban style, which makes him the better boxer. But I also think that Ruiz is, has underrated boxing skills also. And of course, as we stated, he has some deceptively fast hands. I remember when the Joshua fight was made, the first one, and people were laughing at Ruiz, like, man, who is this bum? And I remember because I saw him before, and I was like, I don't know. If Joshua is not on his A game, this, this guy is pretty, pretty fast, you know. Uh, my, my, I didn't say he was going to win, but I was like, it's going to be interesting because this guy is fast. Uh, with Louis Ortiz, Ortiz, I'm pretty sure he, he, he's someone who prepares adequately for this type of fights. But also, he's an old vet, you know. He's a southpaw. He has, he has that 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 wicked left hand straight hand left hand that you know Cubans throw like Arislani Lara would throw so he has a lot of things to help him uh Ruiz is is, is one of the better heavyweight counter punchers that that's that's in boxing his issue is lack of, of dedication and you know changing trainers which isn't always a, a great thing uh in this fight I I think there'll be Early, there'll be plenty of knockdowns. I think both guys will go down in this fight. Uh, but I do think Ruiz uh, will come in in shape and his volume will bother Louis Ortiz. Now, Ortiz's counterpunching ability will bother Ruiz and it will put him down. But I think Ruiz's volume will eventually wear uh, Louis Ortiz down and, and, or, and Ruiz will stop Ortiz in the eighth round. All right, you chalked me up for eighth round too then. No, I'm just messing with you. I'm going <laughs> But um, did you, you you thought that, Vail, or were you just saying, like, that's what you were hearing people say about the Ruiz and Joshua fight? 
Um, no, I actually hear that. I, when that first that fight was in what first, because I remember Ruiz was like a replacement for Big Baby. Yeah, okay, it's coming to me. He was a replacement for Big Baby. Correct. And when that fight was announced, I was looking online. People were kind of like, "Man, that, that Ruiz, he gonna get knocked out? He's you know just some fat bum and all this, this and that." And I'm like, have these guys seen Ruiz? I'm not saying that Ruiz is gonna win or anything, or that he even was what we looked at him now, but people were acting like that wasn't a decent fight for Anthony Joshua at the time. And I was looking at Ruiz like, this guy might be short and stocky because I don't think he's 6'2", neither. I was like, this guy might be short and, you know, got some flab on him. But this guy got some hands. Like, he was a, he was one of those heavyweights. What caught my eyes when you see a heavyweight and you, and, you see, and you see their hands are fast enough where you got to, like, look at how fast their hands is. Ruiz is kind of like that where you have to look at, like, when he's landing punches. Um, if you're not careful, a heavyweight that fast can catch you. And it's off-putting because he doesn't look like he should be that fast. That's the thing that's off-putting about him. Right. And that's the reason why I was asking. Because um, I when, when the fight was switched, I personally thought that that was a better fight. And that was, he was actually fighting a better fighter. And I was surprised because of the short nature of the switch. You know what I mean? Like typically when you have somebody that you swapping out, you don't fight somebody better than a guy that you were supposed to fight in the first place. It's only a few occasions where I remember that happened. I remember when um, Lennox Lewis, he was supposed to fight that June of that year. I can't remember the guy's name, but he used to always fight in those white shorts. He was a pretty good fighter, but he ended up getting injured. And then they moved in Vitaly Klitschko because Lennox was on the verge of retiring. He always wanted to fight Vitaly, but he f- was thinking that, you know, he better get him now. You know what I'm saying? And then that turned out to be a really good fight. But, you know, rarely do you just see guys, not that he's heads, head, head and shoulders above where Big Baby was at the time, but I thought that his experience, his fast hands and the pop that he had on his punches, he fought better caliber opposition than Big Baby. So, that's what I was thinking. Now, you know, some people who wasn't familiar with Ruiz, I can see them looking at, you know, this chubby, pudgy little dude that's getting inside the ring. And you see Joshua, who's as chiseled up as he is. The fact that Joshua was on a roll at the time, you know, it, it appeared that it might end his reluctance on facing Deontay Wilder, that some people could have been looking like, oh, this dude cherry picking this dude. You know what I'm saying? So I could see that. But I was just asking you, you know, is that something that you thought, you know, when they made the switch? All right, let's get off into these topics, man. You know, that's a good discussion as far as like the fight, the recaps. And then also, you know, we just discussed uh, what's going to happen next week as far as our predictions are concerned. Now, we got some interesting events that have taken place this past week when it comes to the sport of boxing. The first topic that we want to discuss is former heavyweight champ and all-time great George Foreman. Um, He's been accused of raping two underage women back in the 1970s. Uh, These ladies now, these these, these women, um, say that they were 13 and 16 at the time when Mr. Foreman allegedly raped them back in the 70s. Do you guys have any thoughts on this allegations against big George Foreman? Uh, all I'm, I'm gonna say is this because it's it's kind of early in the investigation, and I'm not even sure if there is an investigation yet. George Foreman was the one who actually 
came forward and said that he was trying to be extorted, that these two women were extorting him. I almost say is if it's true, shame on George Foreman and and he should be dealt with. If it's not true, shame on his accusers. So we'll see where this goes from here. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's more or less where I'm at with it too. I just, I just don't know enough. Um, you know, the women, there, there is a, a report on it, like a more detailed report, but, and the women go into, you know, I guess how the, the mental damage that they caused them at the time, you know, but I just don't know enough to really have any comment of substance on it yet. Now, you know, I agree as far as if he did it, then, you know, he should be punished. If he didn't do it, then hopefully they'll receive some type of uh, admonishment, you know, for it. But the only thing that kind of sticks in my craw is this. It's 45 years later. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the only thing. I don't know. You know what I mean? and, And I get it. Like, some people say, well, you know, they felt like, you know, a victim feels like they, they may not be able to come out and um, it could be they finally feel like in a safe enough space in order to be able to, you know, speak out and, you know, confront their accuser and whatnot. But that's the only thing. It's, just, it's, it's been a long time. And um, at the end of the day, like I say, if the man is guilty, hopefully, he'll he'll be punished you know and if not you know they should have the same um you know uh reporting of it as they did when they when the information came out of these alleged uh charges you know what i mean so we'll see what 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 transpires moving forward yeah i got something else with that and and what you said was key that it was 45 years ago um but my thoughts on that is if it's true or if it could be true is that you know I personally been in contact with women who have, you know, been sexually assaulted at, at young ages. And from what I know about those particular women who stated this is that they have not came forward or they had the, the person that the perpetrator has not, you know, no one knows that this happened and, and or it's not publicly out there. So who, who knows why they did not come forward or if it's true or what have you. I mean, I don't know. That's never happened to me, but I'm pretty sure there could be shame involved with that. But I'm not going to say too much more than that because I don't want to make it seem like he's guilty or he's not guilty. And we don't know yet, but I'm just giving a perspective of why someone may wait. You know, it, it can be different reasons, especially when it, when it comes to being a minor uh, especially as young as 13, you know, you never know what's going on with it. It's a lot of mental and psychological stuff that happens, you know, in their development when something like that is, is going on. Okay. All right. So now uh, the next topic that we want to discuss that's in, that's currently uh, in the news and uh, something that just happened this week is that you had a new way, a new way. He came to an agreement for a unification matchup against the champion, I forget Butler's first name, but they decided to go ahead and unify those belts. Uh, you guys have any thoughts on that matchup? Yeah, Nui going up against Paul Butler. Um, I think it's, it's a pretty a, a solid fight. That, that's, that's 
could be made. I mean, it's probably not the best fight for a new that can be made. I mean, I have a better fight in mind. It probably wouldn't be a good fight for him, but it's a better fight in mind. Uh, but I'm all for unification. It, it, it's, it's all a great thing for the folks to be unified. Because uh, it, it gets the sense that, you know, there's one champion in the weight class or one or two champions in the weight class. It narrows all those belts down. So I'm all for it. I think Anui is gonna gonna take this fight. He's probably gonna stop Paul Butler. So that's my initial thoughts on it. Hey, I just wanna say, you know, congratulations to the monster in advance on becoming undisputed at 118. You know what I mean? You've done great at the division. You know, you're forced to be reckoned with. Looking forward to seeing if you move up to 122 next year. Uh, <laughs> that's all I got with this one. Yeah, yeah, they'll be fighting on December 13th. And Anoue will be an overwhelming favorite. Now, I what I disagree is that this is a huge accomplishment. This is a huge um, feather in his cap because of the fact that this will be the first undisputed champion in almost 50 years. So, you know, that's a huge accomplishment, you know, and all of the great work that he's done at Bantamweight and the previous weights you know, before that you want to, you know, reward yourself and you know with such an accomplishment and he deserves it you know what i mean for all the work that he's put in so you know it's, i think it's going to be like a ceremonial type situation you know it's just uh, uh, uh we already know pretty much what the outcome is going to be but if anybody deserves it it's the monster you know what i'm saying um the other topic you know my guy demetrius andre we a lot of times we talk about him and in, in an unfavorable way as far as some of the opposition that he's facing, always having to take on these unknown uh, number one contenders, you know, and we, we see the same level of opposition that he's been facing and he's such a remarkable talent that you want to see him pit those skills against somebody who at least has some type of uh, chance at possibly you know defeating him and we don't see that or we haven't seen that in quite some time now what he's decided to do is that he's going to vacate his belts at 160 and move up to 168 uh what do you think about that my initial thoughts is that there are great fights to be made at 168 but then again there are decent fights to be made at 160 uh he would probably be the favorite if he was to fight someone like a Triple G or even a Arislandi Lara. That's a pretty good fight. So it, it all depends on who he fights at 168 and what's his reasoning behind it. Because some, sometimes, and I know I'm, I'll be hard on him sometimes, but I think he always gives me the sense of he's just looking for a big money fight and not a big legacy fight. Um, because there's tough fights everywhere and it's definitely tough fights at 168. But if your main focus is to chase Canelo, which basically is coming off a loss too, but if, main, if his main focus is just to chase Canelo, uh, I'm not sure if I would like that. But if he's trying to really get in there with the 168-pounders and fight uh, uh, David Benavidez, you know, even a Caleb Plant, um, and those guys, I, I, and, and even the new guys is coming up, like uh, Edgar Berlinga, David Morrell, if he's trying to really get in there with those guys, I think it's good for him. I think it's probably a, a really great move for him, you know, so we can see like, what's the limits? How good is he really? So we'll see, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really going to be focused on what, whatever that first fight at 168 is. And, and, and we'll see. 
You know, I guess I'm a, a boo-boo apologist or something, you know, because I don't know what else you do in his scenario. He was at 160 for four years. He had a belt for many of those four years. You know, when you have the belts, you know, that's when the, the people are supposed to come to you. They're supposed to want to fight you. But he wasn't getting those fights. He had a promoter whose job was to get him those fights. He was not. He tried to help the promoter out and help himself out by kind of calling out people and being sort of verbal with it. And they were, you know, the fighters in response were saying, well, who have you fought? Meanwhile, his promoter was not able to get him the fights. And so now he's a free agent and he sees that, you know, he wasn't getting what he wanted at 160. He's 34 years old. And, you know, his career is, I wouldn't say it's coming to a close, but he's sort of heading into a different phase of his career. And so I think that 160 is more of his natural weight, but if he's not getting the fights there, I respect him for wanting to get the fights at 168, you know, and there are names there. And at least you know that the names are there and you haven't tried to get these guys yet versus 160 where you try to get these guys and nobody has has sort of bent to that. Now, it's being reported, you know, he's trying to chase that Canelo fight. I have not personally heard from his mouth that he's trying to chase Canelo. And so, like, he's called him out before for sure, but I don't know if this move is for him to chase Canelo. And so I just really hope he gets what he's, what he's looking for, you know? Like, I think in his case, the money fights can be the legacy fights. But the thing about moving up to his weight class is he's probably going to hide, have to take a high-risk fight and look good in that high-risk fight. But it's going to be more dangerous for him at his weight class. And so, you know, I just really hope he gets what he's looking for. I like him as a fighter. Seems like a good person. And so hopefully he gets that. Yeah, he... Just on the outside looking in, I look at Demetrius Bubu Andrade as a guy who is content with collecting the money that he's getting for the fighters that he's facing. And I can earn a career doing that. Okay, you give me this guy right here, you're going to give me a million, two million to do this. I can do this with my hands tied behind my back. So why should I, you know, go out of my way to go ahead and face somebody who can put, you know, a monkey wrench in my ability to continue to get these fights, to face these mandatories and collect this money so I can feed my family and so on and so forth, which is a, a cool way. I mean, it's prize fighting. If that's what you want to do, and I can sit up here and just talk noise and say people are avoiding me this and that, but I'm also conveniently ignoring the fact that I was set to fight Charlo a couple of years ago and I, backed out of the fight like right that week of the fight you know what I'm saying so that's the problem that he's facing so when we saying well you know he's a Charlo you know why why you you can't blame Charlo because they were set the fight and he didn't take the fight that's probably the biggest fight that you want to see like Triple G you know as people stated previously he seemed like once he got to a certain point he was just fixated on facing Canelo and he was, you know, keeping himself kind of active a little bit, chasing that next fight with Canelo. That's just the whole thing that he wanted to do to cap, you know, his career off. And then anybody else, you know, it really wasn't anybody else that really he could fight that was going to give him that signature victory. And so moving up to 168, 
I look at it like this, is that at least whoever he chooses to fight, there's going to be a better competitive fight just based on the fact that he's fighting a bigger person as opposed to fighting somebody his size who has no chance. At least he might fight somebody that's strong and might wear him down, that he might have to show different wrinkles that he hadn't shown before because we never seen him really challenged like that against the opposition that he faced previously. But there's some dogs at 168, you know what I mean? And it don't look like those guys are, you know, they won't have a problem facing them. You know, I heard Benavidez, his father was talking about a certain amount of money that they will want. Um, but when I heard David talk, David sounded like he, he'd be more than willing to take that fight where he wants to fight anybody. And then Caleb Plant, that'd be a tricky fight right there um, to see because they both box. And I want to say they both, is Boo Boo left-handed? I think so. Yeah. So that'd be that'd be interesting to see those two guys go at it. And then even a guy like Anthony uh, Durrell, you know what I'm saying? Dogs. Yeah, the dog. I wouldn't mind saying that. I just don't want him to go up and then he's facing dudes like Zach Parker, dudes like LaRon Richards, like dudes I don't really know about. I want you to face some guys that we know what they bring to the table and we want to see your skills match against them. You know what I mean? And so we'll see, you know, how things transpire moving forward. But he don't have much time left on the clock because, like you say, 34 years of age. You got anything else on Boo Boo's move, um, move up to 168? If not, we can go ahead and go to the next topic, which is Haney. Uh, Devin Haney, he was upset at the fact that Rain Magazine didn't have him in the top 10 of their pound for pound list. And so what he wanted to do or what he said is that he wants to be excluded from their pound for pound listings as far as the championship that they have him awarded him in their rankings for at light at lightweight. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I mean, the ring title, it's his title. He can do whatever he want with it. If you want to give it up, he can for that particular reason because it's kind of a protest, you know, saying, hey, look, look at me, I'm here, you know, and we did our pound for pound uh, list. He, he is on our list. Um, so he is there. So he's worthy and he has an argument. Now, if he's going to start looking at like, maybe I should be top two or something like that or top even top four, now it's a, it's a different thing. It's, it's almost like when they were, when people were arguing that Tank was Tank's people were arguing that he was number one or something like that. Now it's, it's some issues there. So I think he's entitled to to feel that way, and he has a valid point. Um, but I mean, I don't have an opinion about whether he should or shouldn't give it the title up. It's his it's his decision to make. With that I can understand why he wouldn't want to carry that belt anymore. You know, like when you look at who the ring and this is in direct response to the most recent up to date pound for pound list that the ring put out. Now, on that list, this is this is fresh, you know, hot off the press from going from 10 to one. They had better be Charlo, Josh Taylor, Bevo, Lomachenko, Canelo Alvarez, Spence, Crawford, Inoue and Usyk. Now. To be nice about it, I find it interesting that they still have Loma at six, and you guys know I like Loma. I find it interesting they have Loma at six when, A, Haney is undisputed at his weight class, and, B, when Haney beat the guy that beat the guy. You know what I mean? And so 
is like, say what you want about the rest of the list, but at the very least, if you couldn't make an argument for anyone else in that list being taken off, you can make one for him. Yeah, that's phony. That's that's fraudulent. That's 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 fugazi, man. Like I, I understand his frustration and how upset he is. I can't have that dude. They they doing it again, man. Like I say, every time with this guy, this Lomachenko guy, he doesn't have what criteria are you using in order to have him number six? It doesn't make sense whatsoever. The man is the undisputed champion at lightweight. You can't have him over him. He beat the guy who beat that dude. You can't justify it. So I would need to know what the criteria is of why they have him there. What significant victory has he really had since then? You know? And then the last thing is this, as far as Rain Magazine, I, they already lost credit with me. Now, sometimes I use them when I'm coming up with my pound for pound listing and stuff like that, because you got to use some type of source, right? Because both of them, Rain Magazine, ESPN Magazine, um, their rankings, it's a lot political sometimes. It's like, at one point, when, when I used to listen to rap, the Source magazine was like the Bible. I used to look at that. Oh, man, they gave Wu-Tang five mics on this CD. Let me go ahead and listen to see why they got five mics. Nas got five mics. Then after a while, you start seeing they might have uh, my main man designer, you know what I mean, four and a half mics. You're like, man, hold on, dog. Like, this not doesn't have the same validity as it had previously. Whoever took over... Benzino or whoever, that's when you knew it was no longer the Bible. And Rain Magazine used to be that magazine that you were looking to. I used to go get Rain Magazine. I, used, I remember they had the 84 Olympic team on there. I remember uh, Sugar Ray being on there, Terry North, all them dudes. Man, I used to go to this one. It was off Silver Spring. Every month when that used to come out, I used to get me, you know, one of the magazines or I'm up in Pick and Save up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My mother, she'd be doing the shopping up in the grocery store. I'm over there reading those magazines. It was a KO magazine. Those, man, because you didn't have all of this stuff that you have now as far as like ESPN, Box News. Uh, you didn't have Fight News and all of these different areas to get your boxing needs like on a day-to-day -day basis. You just have to, we used to wait that month. But after a while, it started losing the same um like the validity was off a little bit. It started to be a little bit more about other things outside of like truly what was going on in the sport of boxing. And to me, that's the case with this. You cannot justify Lomachenko at number six, pound for pound at this particular moment um, in time. So Devin Haney, yeah, go ahead and do what Anthony Joshua did. Throw them belts out the ring. You understand what I'm saying? It's auction them off, you know what I'm saying? Get like you a little bonfire or something like that and throw that joint up in there, man. Forget them. Screw them. Now, anything else you guys have on that topic? No, yes, sir. Let me riled up the Rain Magazine with that nonsense. Last topic that we... <laughs> you take your blood pressure medication? <laughs> uh, I'm glad you told me. I've got to put, put the little timer on to take it after we finish. Right. Yeah. But now, the last thing. We got Josh Taylor, man. What, what, what do you think is going to be the ramifications uh, of him vacating his IBF title? And they've already set up, um, I want to say it's the IBF. They've ordered uh, two combatants to fight in the future for his belts. But what do you think the ramifications is going to be of Josh Taylor vacating his belts? That's, that's pretty weird because some of the allure to Josh Taylor is that he, he's a, he was a unified champion. It's like, once you're the unified champion, it's not like he's this fighter who undisputed champion. Yeah, he was undisputed champion. It's not that he's like uh, 
this fighter who is, um, you know, flashy or is big star or is always impressive. Uh, the allure was that he was able to fight himself and win all four belts, you know. Um, and so giving him up is like it's basically to me it's it's kind of a bad move move and people can say it's sanctioning fees but according to you know bill haney who we just talked about Devin haney according to bill haney haney bill haney stated that fighters i don't know if it's true or not but he said hey i'm taking his word for it that fighters don't pay sanctioning fees for belts he says the the uh promotional companies or the uh the promotional outlets do uh so if i'm josh taylor i'm not a star you know that could be the that's the only thing that that, that could that could make a fight between him and some of the other guys at 140. If they want to be champions at 140, like if someone like a Gary Antoine Russell or even a Tiafimo Lopez or a Tank Davis, Ryan Garth, any of those guys want to be a champion, they would have to see Josh Taylor. So to me, it's kind of a bad move for him to give up one of those titles. But hey, that's today's boxing for you. I mean, the thing is, he was already forced to vacate the WBA and the WBC, you know? And so that's the thing with the with these sanctioned bodies. You win all the belts, and the WBC is like, oh, we want you to fight this guy. And the IBF is like, we want you to fight this guy, you know, and so on and so forth. And so he had already vacated. He was already forced to vacate two of them. And then the IBF had him as that mandatory. He was supposed to have to fight Jeremiah's Ponce. And so, you know, I wasn't paying attention attention to this specific situation personally but you know it was rumored that they already had a date for Matias and Ponce because they knew that Taylor was going to not want to want this fight and that he was going to vacate and so you know it seemed like somewhat of a chess move on IBS part because they knew they wasn't going to they knew he wasn't going to fight his mandatory and so Josh Taylor acted accordingly that said, he still has one of the major belts, and we have a situation where in a 140-pound division, we're going to have four different champions again, and hopefully, you know, that sets up some of the fights that we actually want to see. But in terms of him vacating the IBF belt, you know, that allure was already gone of him being undisputed, and so I wouldn't want to be forced to fight that guy either, you know? And I think that that's going to make for a good fight. And I think that, you know, whatever happened with Taylor, at least he's now in the driver's seat to get the fight that he wants to get. Yeah, the fight that he want to get right now is Jack Catterall because he, that's probably the reason why he's vacating all those belts because he has tunnel vision on getting that rematch because he has such a subpar performance against Catterall when they fought previously. So that's the next fight that's going to happen for him. It looks like it's going to be in November between those two. As far as the belts are concerned, there's two things. One, I don't know. And I heard him say that he makes 140 comfortably. He just looks so big at 140. I don't know how long he would be able to make it. And then also reach the mountaintop like he did. Those little mandatories that he would have to face, he might be looking like he did against Catterall, you know, against some of those mandatories because it's hard to get up because he had such a run, you know what I mean, against Ramirez, against progress you know he even faced victor postal he had such a run where he was fighting either undefeated guys or former champions and so to finally get to the mountaintop with all of the belts with all of the hardware it's kind of difficult to get up 
And then I think he needs to seek out new challenges. The only thing for him is that if he does decide after the Caterall fight, the campaign at 147, is just a lot of the advantages that he had at 140, he won't have those. And he's fighting much tougher, you know, stellar opposition at 147. So I don't know what the end game is going to be for him. Maybe it's against, you know, somebody like a Conor Ben, like those type of fights that he can, you know, make some lucrative matches against and then maybe, you know, try his hand at one of the top guys at 147. But the 147 is going to be hectic, you know, moving forward, even when you got Spence moving up. And then maybe even if Crawford moves up or whatever it is that they decide to do, if they're going to be entangled with one another for a while, but even the next crop, boots, you know what I mean? Virgil Ortiz, Stan Jonas, you know what I mean? So the list goes on and on when it comes to the world's weight division. A lot of those guys are big, strong, you know, powerful guys. And I just don't know how he's going to hold up. That's Josh Taylor, you know, once he decides to go ahead and move up, if he decides to move up. I just don't know how he doesn't move up based on his frame. You know what I mean? Anything else you guys have? I think that's the last topic of the day. No, sir. Yeah, man, we talked that talk today. Yeah. You know what I'm we that talk. Hey, yes, sir. Only only thing I got, I want to shout out the hometown hero, uh, Kelvin Davis. He got the W Saturday against his opponent. I think he's up to six and zero now. So shout out to him. Shout out to to Kelvin Davis. You know, getting that W. Shout out to all them Olympians that was at the fight yesterday. They was like deep cheering a man on, um, big baby. You know what I'm saying? That was good to see. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, we taught that talk. We did what we had to do. So we can go ahead and close this bad boy out. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode and we'll catch you next week. Peace. Peace. Peace.